Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. Find over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP11. This week on TWIP, news and announcements from Photo Plus Expo, Apple and Microsoft announce new hardware and software, Nikon users experiencing dust issues on the D600, Canon profits are down, worldwide camera sales decline, and an interview with photographer Danny Postawa. It's Tuesday, October 30th, 2012, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, we're going to be diving into a bunch of cool stuff. There's some news and announcements that popped out of Photo Plus Expo. We're going to be talking about some new hardware and software that come from our friends at Microsoft and Apple. Um, Nikon is being plagued by some dirty sensors on the D600. And we're going to talk about Canon's profits. Looks like the profits are down. So we're going to talk about what that what maybe causing that and is that the shape of things to come so joining me to discuss these topics and a whole lot more are miss valerie jardin don komarechka and mr martin bailey hey guys hey. hi everybody hello valerie you're just back from across the pond right you're hanging out in the black and white city how did, how did that go over in paris oh it was awesome uh the workshop went really well i was just um I had a small group of photographers from Australia, the UK, and the United States, and um, I was so impressed at how much they learned and how fast they learned and applied new techniques. It just blew me away, and it was a week of um, hanging out with friends, basically, and uh, it was awesome. Wow. I, want, I can't wait to go back in May. <laughs> oh, so you're going back in May. How's, how's well, that one shaping up? another workshop. Yeah, actually, the May workshop in Paris is almost filled. I think I have three or four spots left. And uh, I'm going to be doing a new adventure in Normandy right after. Actually, I have people who signed up to both back to back. And then again, Paris and Normandy in October next year. And so, and I, I can't wait. It's, it was so fun. So hopefully there'll be some slots left by the time this episode goes live. Well, I'm so. sure there will be. <laughs> or you may have to expand it or something. Yes, but... Yeah, it was, and I've been posting on my blog some um, action shots that were taken, you know, during the the workshop, as well as another blog post with just images that were shot by my students. And uh, yeah, I'm so proud of them. It was really fun. Very cool. Well, congratulations on the success of that workshop. I remember when you, I think I remember, you had probably done a couple when we first started talking, but now it seems like you're in full swing, right? Not the the week long. The week long workshop was was new, so it's a it's a it's a big chunk of time good but good. Uh, went really well well i'm glad i'm glad this week in photo could help you with that so and what i want to say a special hello to john taylor and lisa john is an avid um twip listener and he was in my uh, on my workshop in oh Paris. cool representing the twippers thank you john and lisa we appreciate that <laughs> <laughs> cool all right. Also on the show is Mr. Don Komarechka. I'm always impressed that I know how to say your name, Don. I, 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 I never mess it up. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm more impressed than you are, Frederick. I appreciate it very much. Hey, and I didn't even practice. It just sort of, you know, it's just 
the phonetics are right there. So you you are you've been doing a little traveling of your own. What have you been up to? I just got back recently, uh, within the last month, from a trip up to the uh, well, the not so frozen north at the time of the year I was there, but uh, the Yukon wilderness. Uh, and I was traveling with a group of hunters about, uh, if anybody can picture it on a map, nine hours northeast of Whitehorse and really into the middle of nowhere. And it was quite an interesting exercise. Uh, it was a photographic expedition for me taking along with them. Um, but it complete isolation from, from the world. You know, if World War III had broken out, I wouldn't have known about it for a couple of weeks. And uh, it's the first time I think in, in my life that I've been completely disconnected. So even that alone was a wonderful experience. Wow. Wow. Jeez, and how long, how long were you there? I was there for three weeks in total. And uh, we spent a lot of times in the lakes and the rivers. And uh, the, the best part was a couple of days when we went up into the high alpines and we were able to do some hiking uh, into areas of the country that are normally covered in a, in a few feet of snow at this time of the year. Uh, but just our luck, uh, there was a little bit of a warm spell through and we were able to hike up some mountains that uh, gave some spectacular views. I just as you as you talk through that and describe it, I just remember a movie I just saw on Netflix or or iTunes. I, th- I forget which one, but it was it's starring Liam Neeson and it's called The Gray. Have you heard of that one? I haven't, but now I have to watch it. He's he's like trapped in the wilderness and being hunted by wolves. <laughs> so. Well, there was wolves around, um, but we were not roughing it by any means. We were isolated, yes, but uh, we had like. Uh, the, the most delicious five-star meals that I could ever imagine and uh, sort of living in luxury in the middle of nowhere. It was wonderful. The hunters know how to do it right up there. Yeah, the, the only five-star meals that were eaten in that movie were the other people that were traveling with Liam Neeson. <laughs> so, the wolves, right. Bit of the a wolves were partaking of them. So. so cool. All right. And finally on the show is Mr. Martin Bailey. Hey, Martin. Welcome back. Hey, guys. It's great to be back. You're you are like a ping pong bouncing back and forth across the globe. You were just here <laughs> in Santa Barbara just a couple of day, hours ago, right? And now yeah, you're now yeah. you're back in Tokyo. Yeah. What, what's going on in your night. world? And I can hear it in your voice. I can hear that you still have that <laughs> that pressurized cabin voice from the aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's going I, on? Uh, no, I got back last night uh, from Santa Barbara. Did a, did the pixels to pigment workshop in at Brooks Institute. So that was. Great, uh, a really really good crowd, and uh, yeah, a lot of fun. That's that's kind of like the end of the the pixels to pigment workshops for this season. I don't I don't know what's going to happen next year, but it was a lot of fun. Um, that's really cool. Yeah, that's cool. Now, so that's that. So the Brooks Institute workshop was the punctuation on the whole tour. So now that it's over, it's in the can. How did it go from from start to finish? You think it was a success? A success? Oh, absolutely. I um I met. Lots of great people. We uh, we created. It, it turned out that towards after the first couple, I think um, we were able to get a printout for everybody. And at Brooks, they they had a, a forty four inch wide printer that they allowed us to use. So mm. I I had my friends over at Breathing Color send us a twenty four inch because of the size of the the roll. Uh, sorry, the the cutting mats that we could essentially use at the at Brooks. We uh, I had them buy a, a larger one, but not big enough to do 44. Uh, but we still created four uh, 30 by 20 by 30 inch gallery wraps, and they looked great. Wow! And we also went through and we created some 17 by 24 inch prints for the rest of the group. So everybody walked away with a, at least a print and some with a gallery wrap. Uh, one guy took away a gallery wrap of one of my images, which he was very happy. That was Ralph. 
uh, who'd been, he was originally going to come and come with us, uh, come to the LA workshop, but we had to cancel that because it was a holiday weekend and we didn't get enough people sign up. So he drove up to Santa Barbara for it as well. And it was just great. You know, the, the people were amazing. And across the globe, I, I found that, you know, the people that turned up for all of the workshops, they, they were just so tuned in. And it was, it was a great experience. And, of course, uh, the, weekends, the, the workshops were at the weekend, so I didn't waste any time during the weeks. So I was out photographing and meeting lots of people, business partners and all, all sorts. So it was just a really, really productive six weeks. And then this additional um, Brooks workshop at the end there was really just like the icing on the cake. It was amazing. That's cool. Well, congratulations on that. Cool. All right, guys. Let's. Uh, well, just on me. I just got back from Chicago, but that's boring compared to where you guys. Are. <laughs> you guys are all in these exotic places, and I, you know, I was just hanging out in Chicago with family for last week. So, but I had a good no, time. Chicago is cool. I love Chicago. I had a, had a really good time. I always miss Chicago when I go back there. I don't miss it while I'm gone, but when I go back, I'm like, oh, I miss Chicago. That was the same as me with England. I, I went back for the first time in like five years uh, last month, well, beginning of this month, and it was a lot of fun. I've, I've reopened my eyes to England. Yeah. Now that you're no longer a citizen, right? <laughs> right. Well, I, I, they were grilling me in, in immigration and everything. It was fun. <laughs> no, really, I am Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, I think the only, the only thing that I actually pushed them over the over the edge to, to stamp my passport was when when i told them that my brother who they knew now knew his name um uh, when i told them he was a policeman and he just went and stamped the passport so, <laughs> there you go there i you feel go. the same way about france though i mean i think i don't think you realize what you're missing till you're you go back and then you have to leave again yeah you know that's exactly right that's mm-hmm. exactly yeah all right, guys, let's, uh, enough about us. Let's dive in to the oh. week. <laughs> I know the listeners are like, okay, yeah, really, enough about you guys. <laughs> let's hear about what, what is this week in photography, not this week in photographers. So um, lots of stuff happening. First of all, uh, Photo Plus Expo, which I talked about in the, in the open there, um, took place last week in New York, just before that gigantic monster Hurricane Sandy struck the city. But I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the things that were announced there, but on a more grand scale, I wanted to talk about just just these kind of conferences like Photo Plus in general from this panel. And how do you guys feel about them? So all of you are working photographers, workshop leaders. You're doing stuff in the industry. And do you, do you attend these type of conferences? And if so, what do you get out of them? Don, I'll throw it to you first. Well, you know, a lot of the big ticket items that are maybe they're announced at some of these shows, you know, that lenses and cameras and that kind of stuff. I don't really see a use for going to these and getting a hands-on experience because I kind of decide just by the nature of what product it is if I'm going to buy it or not, just by looking at the specs. And uh, and, and I think that the internet and just reviews and, and opinions online largely replace the use of that. Um, but I think that there is still a place to go to these shows. You know, in a in a past life, I had gone to conferences like these in another industry. I had attended uh, the Electronic Entertainment Expo E3 in Los Angeles for mm-hmm. a couple of years. Yeah, and and I found that you know a lot of the fun in those those big conferences were not the the big ticket stuff, but going to the smaller halls where everybody, all the independent vendors that you'd never normally be able to uh, notice and be exposed to, mm-hmm. and they've got little hidden gems that uh, you might find a use for that you couldn't uh, you couldn't discover if you weren't there, and that, and that, I think there's value in that still. 
Yeah, I remember, geez, I'm dating myself now, but I remember many, many years ago, there was a conference in San Jose, downtown San Jose at the convention center called, I think it was Internet World Expo or something like that. And I remember there was this little company that couldn't afford to get a booth inside the main hall. So they were in the cheaper booths that were like outside by the bathroom or whatever. And the name of the company that there was a line around was called Future Splash Animator. You guys remember that company? They were the guys that made Flash. They were acquired by Adobe and it became Flash. And it was just like, and everyone was so surprised because they were showing these amazing animations on their screen that were in like 3K of data, you know? So, you know, so you never know. So you're right, Don, you know, outside of the main hall, the people that can't afford to get in, in a lot of ways, have a lot of the, uh, the impact. But then the other thing, Martin, I'll throw this next one to you. Well, a lot of things that I I found or that I find of use from these conferences are the networking. You know, not so yeah. much walking around the floor getting brochureware and pins and you know all this stuff, but it's like the dinners and meeting up with people and friends that you haven't seen forever. They all converge in one place, and all the fun happens after the show's over. Do you find that, Martin? Absolutely. I, I was going to say exactly that. I, I I I guess there's kind of two angles that I was going to talk about. Here was one was that you know rather than the gear, the luminance photo shelter put on a an event just before I started my pixels to pigment in in the u s and it was called luminance two thousand and twelve and I was invited to to join not not to speak but you know to to actually go and I went over there and and i had there was two days of amazing like text uh, ted style talks, and this to me is probably the future because as you say, we can get most of the other stuff online, mm-hmm. um, and I do appreciate the, you know, the the smaller vendors that you can go in and, and just meet. There's only really that's really the only way to get to that. So I don't think they're going to go away, but I think luminance was was really what people are after now. It's it's the the you know picking the brains of of industry leaders. Yeah, and and there were you know between all of the sessions. I mean, it's like I'm, I'm having lunch with Zach Arias. He's, he's coming over saying, like, I'm, I'm going to sit and have lunch with my little British Japanese friend. <laughs> and and it's, like, it's like, you know, I couldn't have done that anywhere else. Yeah. So, so we've got, I'm sitting there having lunch with, with Zach Arias. I'm, I'm meeting, you know, not hundreds maybe, but tens of amazing photographers. And it's all down to the, 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 lunch, the lunch times and the breaks. Yeah. And, the you know the the people at uh, like at Alan Murabayashi, the one of the, the uh, top guys at Photo Shelter, was saying that that's really what he wants to see happening. And as soon as we walked out, everyone's just walking around, talking to each other, exchanging business cards. You're making contacts. You're mm-hmm. you're meeting. I mean, I, I'm there was it wasn't just Zach. It, I met lots of the presenters as well, and they're all really great, down to earth people. So. I uh, I found it as valuable for that, that as you know than than the the keynotes, but all of the talks and just getting information directly from the mouth of the of the real sort of you know the shakers in the industry, it was great, and yeah. I, I think that's the future of of this kind of photography get together. Yeah, it's for getting getting information from the source, and I'll, I'll add to that, you know, a lot. Of, when I, when I put on my marketing hat and people say, well, how do you gain followers and how do you get Facebook likes and how do you do all this stuff? And it all, a lot of it boils down to, not all of it, but a lot of it boils down to relationships. And so they say, well, how do you, how do you get 
Martin Bailey to link to my blog because, you know, uh, I admire him and he has a lot of traffic on his site. How do I get him to link over to me or how do I get him to allow me to guest post on his site? Well, maybe the first step is to go say hello and shake his hand at a conference and strike up a conversation. That way, when you email him later, he'll say, oh, yeah, that was the guy with the crazy hat. Okay, you know. So it's it's that kind of thing. Not to say that everybody should bum rush Martin at the next conference, but still, you know, it's it's that in-person contact that that does volumes. Valerie, what about you? So have you have you ever gone specifically to one of these photography conferences and left with new gear that you that you didn't think you would have bought otherwise? No, for me, it would also be the the networking aspect. Um, and I'd love to go to one of the really big ones like Photokina, you know, which is every two years. So mm-hmm. like in a couple of years, I'd love to go there or uh, Photoshop World to really connect with people I've heard of or, you know, or people with, with whom I've only communicated uh, via the Internet or, you know, or on TWIP, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would that that's to me that's really the appeal as well as the presentations um the yeah i mean yeah that's the other thing the presentations yeah definitely because we we totally glossed over that there's the the show floor and the networking and the dinners but then there's all these awesome classes in there as well right Mm. i'd love to actually do a presentation at one of those like photoshop world yeah if scott is listening (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh you say you'd love to i thought you said you yes, got I'd to love to <laughs> oh. well scott kelby would you please reach out to valerie and call me, uh, <laughs> <Scott. laughs> <Call> me. <laughs> nice cool all right guys let's uh let's move on to this next story which is a huge one right so uh, both apple and microsoft announced new stuff over the last couple of days apple with their ipad mini um the MacBook Pro and new thinner crazy iMacs and new specked out Mac Minis. And then on the Microsoft side, the big whopper from them was Windows 8. Um, it became available. And I, I heard from a little bird that uh, somebody on this show might even have installed that thing. So <laughs> we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, and then I also want to, so that the bird I'm alluding to is Don Komarechka, of course. So he's installed it. So I want to hear from you, Don, first about that before we dive into this, all this Apple stuff. Like, how was it to go from seven to eight? And is, did you go pur- purchase a, a Surface as well? You know, I haven't purchased a Surface yet. Uh, however, I've been looking at them with a very keen eye. I wanted to see how Windows 8 went first and how I enjoy that on the desktop. Uh, I'm still using an iPad, too, and, and I love it for what it is. Until the, the number of apps, re- like, so that I can duplicate my productivity on a Surface, I think I might hold off for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Windows 8, has, like, the install went perfectly smoothly. Um, there was only a couple of tiny little things that it didn't install or it didn't keep the installation record of, um, like some Photoshop plugins that were just easy for me to click a few buttons and put back in place and um, it's been it's been a great experience i'm talking to you uh, this is skype on on windows 8 right now and it oh. seems to be holding up just fine um now talk, tell me about the i've read a bunch of a bunch of you you know articles about the ui and the changes but being a mac user i can't grok and get my brain around exactly what the differences are like from your standpoint going from one version of the os to this new high-tech version of it what are the major things that were like whoa 
So no start button is, is sort of the first thing that jumps out at you. And, and I only really realized when I got Windows 8 that I didn't really use the start button much in the past few years anyhow. I would press this, uh, you know, click on the start button and then I would just type into the little, little search field the application that I was looking for until it popped up and I hit enter. It's the easiest way to find things. And Windows 8 has actually made that even simpler. So I can just simply hit the Windows key on the keyboard, start typing the app that I'm, you know, say if I'm trying to look up Photoshop, I can type PH and then it's going to be the top option and I just hit enter and then Photoshop launches. Um, so it's very convenient for me to get around from the apps. The UI is largely the same. Uh, it actually makes it easier if I'm trying to find little hidden settings in there because I can search through settings in ways that I couldn't before. So uh, getting the, the full experience is, you know, it's going to take a bit of getting used to because there are some things that are a little bit different. I, I use a multi-monitor setup and they have some uh, U, UI options that will show up on the edges of screen when you move, uh, when you move your mouse to it. Mm-hmm. But it sort of breaks where the double monitors connect. Yeah. And so I've got to try and figure that out a little bit. But, you know, besides a few simple little hiccups here and there, it's, it's going great. And uh, I just like to jump on the bandwagon and, and you know, keep the cutting edge. But um, the yeah, way you're like the settlers. Works. You're you're like you're in the new land, jumping in first. But you know they say about the settlers, the settlers are the ones that take the arrows as well. So you well, gonna... that's true. And and I was worried that there would be some compatibility issues. But I did a bit of research before I did the installs. You know, it does all of my key essential software work. You know, type that into Google, see what comes back. Make mm-hmm. sure that you know uh, my my Drobo software connects just fine. Make sure that Photoshop doesn't have any issues. Make sure that my printer plugins will work just fine yeah. uh, in in Windows eight and all that stuff and everything checked out so you know what just go for it did you did you back up your machine before you did the upgrade i actually i I did Uh, i I backed up a lot of the key stuff so just in case things went horribly wrong it wouldn't have taken me too much effort to bring things back to windows 7 um but you know what even if i had to suffer through windows 8 and just get everything you know maybe spend a few extra hours adjusting everything to where i needed it to be i was willing to do it yeah now i hear you now valerie um You've heard about the new announcements, right, on the on the Apple side with the iPad Mini and all that stuff. Yes. Have you seen the iPad Mini? I'm sure you haven't seen it on, in person, but have you seen it uh, on the Apple website yet? Yes. Are you are you getting one? I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> well, I have the iPad One, so I'm kind of oh, wow. due for an upgrade. You that, know? I think that that's the one that came with a crank on the side, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know what? It works fine. And I just, I'm not one of those who, one of those people who have to upgrade right away, you know. Oh, you mean those people like Don? Oh. (laughs) Opposite ends of the spectrum here. (laughs) Don, you resemble that remark. (laughs) Sorry, Don. But no, I mean, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that you do because, you know, otherwise they wouldn't be selling anything. So yeah. um, they they need people who want to upgrade right away. I just don't. I just don't because I don't think having the iPad 2 or 3 is going to improve my life. You know, I mean, the iPad, the first iPad was awesome. Upgrading. I mean, it's great, but it's still working. It's like a car. I kind of run my cars to the ground. You know? uh, I don't know, Valerie. I have to disagree with you on that because I had the iPad 1. And I skipped iPad 2, and I finally, just a couple months ago, fell off the fence and got my iPad 3, or the new yeah. iPad, whatever they're calling it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a markedly better experience. The screen is oh, amazing. It's sure. fast. It's, you know, it's just a, it's an evolved machine beyond yeah. the one. I still have my one, and you look at them side by side, and you're like, how did I ever love you? <laughs> <laughs> but see, now the Mac... 
MacBook Pro with Retina Display, the 13-inch, that I may just go for. Yeah, yeah. Not, yeah maybe I'll skip the iPad upgrade for now and, and go with the That's with what the I'm, I'm looking Pro. at. I swear, you know, Mac, uh, the, the Mac users in the audience that are looking at that MacBook Pro 13-inch with the Retina Display, I'm lusting after that thing. But yeah. I'm on the fence between getting that because if you get the top end of the MacBook Pro 13, then... You might as well just go get the 15. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like waffling between there, and I'm, I'm stuck in analysis paralysis. I can't pull the trigger. What should I do, yeah. Martin? Should I, should I, which, which one should I get, Martin, the, the 13 or the 15? Uh, I, uh, I'm, if I was going to get a new – I'd go for the biggest screen that I can generally because then it makes, it makes the editing on the road a lot easier. I use a 17-inch MacBook Pro at the moment, uh, but it's two generations old, and I – I have to use it for another year and a half, so there's no MacBook um, Pro upgrades in the in the pipeline for me. But when I first jumped to Mac a couple, almost two years ago now, I promised myself that if I could do everything on Mac and I didn't have to go back to Windows, I'd buy myself an iMac or a, I, I was thinking originally as a Mac Pro, but they're pretty much discontinued now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was waiting for the iMac upgrade six months ago, and that didn't happen. But I'm really pleased to see some of the the new things that they have on the iMac that they've just re- just um, released as well. And for me, most importantly, there is the the less reflective screen because the only thing that I used to dislike about the iMacs was although they look beautiful, those big 27 inch screens with all of that real estate is amazing to use. But they were always a little bit too glossy for me, especially when you consider looking at images as a professional. Where yeah, you are yeah. you. You really don't need to see that much glossiness and punchiness in your images. I want to see the image look more like they actually are. And so they're saying that this this new one, although they don't seem to have a matte screen version or an anti-reflective version, they are saying it's it's seventy five percent less reflective than the previous versions. And that's that's a big th- a big thing for me. Um, and I may well because you know the, the MacBook Pro, uh, sorry, the Mac Pro, the desktop type was interesting to me a few years ago because I wanted some power. Mm -hmm. At the moment, my MacBook Pro is my main machine. Uh, But the only time I really miss the power is when I'm using really big files in Photoshop or I'm rendering video and stuff like that and or encoding video. And the... I do, I do really want to get myself a nice desktop system that I can just walk up to without having to plug stuff into it every time I come into my studio. And I'm, I'm seriously considering an iMac. It won't be until I get back from Antarctica, uh, probably January next year when I pull the trigger on this, but I, I'm going to be seriously considering loading an iMac with as much mem- memory as I can get in there. I think it was, I think it's 32. Um, yeah, so you're you're looking for you're looking for a workstation, not yes, yeah. So that that's yeah. different than having a multi a multi purpose machine that's gonna you're gonna be building web pages, editing video, maybe watching a movie on from time to time. All this stuff, yours is is gonna be dedicated for photography, sitting in the studio, right? So I mean, I, I if I did once I've got this and I don't need the bigger screen on my laptop in the studio because I normally plug in an external monitor anyway. Um, I probably would consider going for a 13-inch MacBook Pro, uh, and the 15 is even still two inches less than the one I the one I'm currently using, and that'd be great for traveling. You know, when you've got 
a maybe even if you you want to go with one rucksack, uh, you know, with with your your camera gear and the um, the, the computer in, because if you're a lot of the time, you know, the, even while I've been traveling over this last couple of months, you you get to the airport and it, I've already got a lot of gear in my rucksack. I I use the the uh, Gura Gear uh, Kiboko bag, and I I would love to be able to get one of the the new. I think they're calling it butterfly or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, I would love to get one of those where you can actually stick a laptop in. Um, but to be honest, at the moment, I travel with so much camera gear that I couldn't put a laptop in because it would over it send the weight over. Yeah. But if it was a thirteen inch, then or maybe even a, a an air, then yeah. you know you probably could consider putting it in the one bag, and that would make traveling easier for sure. Well, hey, I'm, yeah. I'm selling my air if you want it. <laughs> Go ahead, Valerie. What were you going to um, say? No, I I agree, and I have a 27 inch iMac, and um, I that's the first thing I'm excited <laughs> to get back to when I when I come back home after traveling because I have a MacBook Pro 15 inch, and yeah, it's it's small for you know, and I don't like doing any process you know editing on a on a laptop anyways because I don't know. You never know when how to adjust the the screen, you know. It, it, mm, so yeah. I, I I'm always looking forward to coming back to my large 27 inch iMac. But um, having having said that, just the the weight of I have a MacBook Pro that's pretty old and it's heavy. Just the MacBook Air or I'm sure the new 13 inch with Retina display is super light. And uh, I, I was traveling with quite a bit of gear and I have a rolling camera bag. That um, that you can put a a, a laptop on in also, and it's heavy. I mean, just having to to lift that thing up into the overhead compartment, it's yeah. a backbreaker. Yeah. Well, you you know what? They're they're weighing you more often now. I I had to stand in front of the the person at the checkout and just load my vest with lenses and cameras a couple of times, and and it's crazy. It's it's like. They watch you do this, and then you walk ten steps back and put it all back in your bag and go get on the plane. So it's crazy that they do that. But literally, some of them they have like a seven k um, limit for your carry on, and my bag is always about fifteen k. So <laughs> in in the UK, the woman said, "You just put a like a, an a, what is it like a ten inch white lens in your jacket." I said, "Yeah." Are you going to weigh my jacket? She said, "No." So, so I, I was literally just loading everything in there, and then I, I reweighed my camera bag, and it's seven k. Yeah. So, you know, so if you if you're traveling, I mean, it's like I love the um, the think tank, the their airport security too that I reviewed on my blog a while back. But it's so it weighs more than three lenses, you know. So it, if it's a cross a toss up between that and and being able to take more gear, I'll I'll use my Kiboko all, uh, over that all the time, just yeah. because just because it's lighter, I can get yeah. it on. Yeah, I can get it onto the onto the flights. So if you if you guys looking at this this new iPad Mini the seven point nine inch display right does this mean like what would you foresee this meaning for photographers I mean because it's it's a little device right but it runs all this cool it's got a, the same cameras that they I think it has the same cameras that the iPhone has on it so does this mean I mean is it is it a viable photography device or is it just just something else to look at. I don't know. I'm, I'm on the fence about it because I'm, I'm thinking. I look at it and like, well, this would be this would kind of be cool, tethered, you know, to shoot and sort of look at as you're shooting. But do you really need it? I don't know, Don. What do you think? 
if it's too big to fit in my pocket, just give me a regular iPad. Um, because yeah. I, I use my iPhone for a lot of stuff. And like sometimes if I'm just out and about and I've got my phone and I can pull it out as a portfolio, I've got the new iPhone 5 and I love it. Um, the, the screen on that is, is great for a lot, of, uh, a, a lot of my work just to show it off if I don't have my iPod, uh, iPad handy. However, yeah. if, if it comes to the size that I cannot fit it in my pocket, then just give me the biggest screen that can fit in my camera bag. And right now, the iPad fits perfectly in there. So I don't have a place in my workflow or in my, I guess, convenience to fit an iPad mini in there. It just doesn't work. Hmm. Martin, what about I think you? The iPad- oh, no, go ahead, Valerie. Oh, no, I just said I think the iPad mini will be attractive to um, people who don't have an iPad at all. Yeah, it's a perfect I don't think you'll stuffer. go from the iPad to the iPad mini. Mm-hmm. Then why would you have three screens, your, your iPhone, your iPad mini, and your iPad? I mean, that's overkill. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I do. But, you know, I still want it. <laughs> I, I, I think it's going to be one or the other, like Valerie said. It, it's, I, don't, I can't imagine people having both. Um, but I do know – I can't remember the use cases, but I know a lot of people have talked about they, they'd like something larger than the phone but smaller than the iPad – uh, so there's definitely a place, but I, like I said, I can't imagine people owning both. Yeah, uh, you know, I think the same thing. I, I'm lusting after it, but when my fiscal brain takes over, it's like you really don't need that. It's going to be sitting on the table. You're going to be putting on Gazelle at some point. But you know, when I look at when I say that, that's looking at it without having held it in my hand. You know, you know the reality distortion field that kicks in when you go into an <laughs> Apple store, right? So, <laughs> that's Steve's reality distortion field, right? Yeah, your finances somehow align so that you can afford whatever it is they're selling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hate that. Yeah. I hate well, that. I just got an an iPhone five, and I have the iPad three as well. So I'm I'm definitely drinking that Kool Aid, but I, I I think I'll skip the mini. Um, I'm, I try to be, you know, so that I can keep that food on the table. I try to sk- not do every upgrade. Um, I have enough time with the cameras as well, uh, you know, trying to keep in relatively, um, you know, current with the cameras is a, is a big thing as well. So. I know. It's, I mean, it's, it's hard being a photographer these days with all this cool stuff coming out. I mean, because yeah. what I'm excited about just sitting on the sidelines from, you know, from a host perspective um, is the iPad mini and its impact on photography and the mic and I, I talked about this. I made the the Microsoft Surface my pick of the week um, on a, on a previous show, and it, I, I'm still really excited about that device just for the impact that it might have on the way that some photographers post process their work. You know, it's it's another tool, and it looks like Microsoft is doing something really innovative and really strong with this, and with with the device and with Windows 8. So it's like, okay, finally we have a competitor you know i know there's android out there of course but android wins on the customizability front apple wins on the simplicity front there's a space for something in between if windows comes in and fills that i think it it could be a really good world i'm excited i can pretty much guarantee that i will buy a second generation surface as long as i can get photoshop touch on it oh look at that all right you pretty much guarantee or guarantee I'll guarantee it. All right, good. There you go. <laughs> Line so in before the sand. we buy it, before we buy anything, we should check with Don because he's probably tried it already. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Pretty, right? There you go. Pretty much. Pretty <laughs> much. Don, you should do a I tried it blog. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah, look at that. All right. Well, you can call it the Canary in the Coal Mine dot com or something. Oh, that's positive thinking. <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> we'll, we'll call it 
If the canary it, I, lives, it's positive thinking. Right? <laughs> hey, you should call it. I tried it. I tried it on dot com. There you go. Nice. I tried it with Don D O N. Oh, well, look at that. that's clever. Look at that. I tried it Don dot com. I like that. All right, thank you for the brainstorming ideas, guys. Look at that. <laughs> you know what people are. You better get that registered before the show goes live. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, and quickly, I'm going to just blow through these next couple of stories um, so we can move on with the show, um, and I'll just talk through this one. So as I mentioned at the beginning, there were some dust issues with the Nikon D600. Our friends over at Borrow Lenses noticed that, or I'm sorry, at Lens Rentals, noticed that um, when D600 were coming back, they all required the sensors to be cleaned, and they also noticed that the sp- same specific area on the sensors required cleaning so the same sensor area so they identify that there was a gap between the shutter curtain and the sensor as a likely cause of this nikon hasn't responded yet but um just wanted to give you a heads up that if you're seeing dust on your sensor that's probably the cause and keep an eye on that there's a we'll put a link in the uh, resources for the show over to the um the article over on lensrentals.com and then also, Canon's profits were down worldwide. So worldwide camera sales in general were down. Canon reported a year-over-year decline in the, gro- in the growth rate of DSLRs by 7% and compact cameras by a whopping 21%. So just quickly to this panel, I want to put it out there, is... This decline is the decline that we're seeing in DSLRs, and we don't know if this, you know, if if Nikon and Olympus and all these other guys are seeing similar declines. But could this be just sort of the tip of the iceberg for us for the slide down as these, um, you know, mirrorless cameras and and camera phones take over the space? I don't know. What do you think, Martin? I I reckon we we probably have seen a peak, um, but I I would also hazard a guess that a lot of the reason why Canon are seeing reduced sales is probably the D800. The, you know, Nikon put out something that Canon should have done with the, um, with the 5... You know, when the 5D Mark III came out, I know it's a beautiful camera and I, I wouldn't change mine for anything, but I, the, the one thing that I was disappointed was that it was only one megapixel more than the, than the 5D Mark II. And, you know, I mean, I, I know it's not all about megapixels, but... Generally, when you can get more and, and they're good quality pixels, you know, you're not, you're not suffering on the high ISO and dynamic range and everything, then it's generally a good thing. It opens more doors for you. So I've spoken to a lot of people over the last six weeks on, on my travels that have just dumped all of their Canon gear and have, have jumped ship to Nikon just so that they can start shooting with the D800. Really? Uh, yeah. And I, I think that. You know, the other thing is, is that the, I mean, for me, I wouldn't switch because I've got way too much investment in lenses, but I think that there's probably a lot of people that are also hanging on uh, for probably the D3 or something, whatever it's going to be called, which is the rumored Canon camera that's going to be like 45 megapixels. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that they should have done that. They should have done something like that with the 5D. Um, but, you know, it's probably that. It's probably also they... I mean, you have a note in the show notes about it. It, it could well be because, you know, Japan and China are having the, the territory problems at the moment. And maybe the, you know, China's a huge market and they're probably holding off a little bit as well. But I think that, the, you know, in general, it could be plateauing because everyone's got a great camera. And just because something new comes out, it doesn't mean that your, your current camera is, is rubbish all of a sudden. So, 
you know, the, I think there's there's probably people who are going to be a little bit more careful with their money, especially in the the current. Uh, economic climate so yeah absolutely it, it, i mean there's all this cool stuff coming there's computers there's there's handheld devices and now cameras and printers and i mean there's 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 way more things to buy than than we have money to buy them so at some point you got to be like you got to have to think okay this this nice d7000 that i just bought <laughs> should yeah. should i dump that and go get the d800 or should i have both or you yeah, know you have- you have to pick your battles now. There's, there is so much to spend your money on, and, and, and a lot of people haven't got any money to spend, so you just stick yeah. with what you've got, which is great. I know. What about – so, Don and Valerie, what about the idea of the micro four-thirds or mirrorless cameras biting into the DSLR market? Do you think this could be a, a culprit here? I absolutely think that it is. And I'm looking at these numbers, and Canon doesn't have, at least in their third quarter numbers, uh, they did not have the EOS M to market at that time. And I think that's the biggest growing segment, and Canon was just absent from that category. So if you add those numbers in as as that, and I hope it picks up for them, uh, then that will sort of even things out a little bit. I think the compact cameras, that's still going to continue to decline. Yeah. I think that uh, it, you know their swan song will be adding uh, Android to the devices and sort of making it more of a, a commodity product with very little uh, brand differentiation, and then that'll just disappear and cell phones replace it. And I think the money will be made in the uh, the mirrorless market and then the digital SLRs, which aren't going away. Yeah. I'm going to give a nod to our sponsor. The sponsor for this episode is Shutterstock. So Shutterstock.com has over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, video clips. Basically, if you're looking for images for your website or blog, your print ad, trade show, swag, even if you're designing an app and you need some some swanky graphics to throw in there, you can use Shutterstock to pull those images down. They get over, they say over 10,000 images added to their database every day. We've got a global image collection, so you can search and find images across the world to suit whatever project you're putting together. They've got this thing called image packs um, and monthly subscription packages. So you can basically buy exactly what you need when you need it without any compromise. You don't have to like buy credits to get you know a certain amount of uh, you know credits towards a certain images. You can buy just one particular image that you need for your mock-up, which is awesome. Um, you can download any image in any size and you pay one price. So they don't charge different prices for different resolutions. It's one price and you get whatever size you need. So no nickel and diming you for high resolution images. If you need them, you can just grab them. Um, they've got the whole light box feature where you can dump a bunch of images in there as you sort of peruse through the site, find your favorites, and then go back and make your final decisions and purchase them later. And they have an iPad app that you can kick back on your couch with a glass of wine and search through images and find the right one. And I use the iPad app just for inspiration. I, I just like looking through the images in there, kind of like 500px or 500px.com. There's just a lot of cool stuff in there to look through. So definitely check that out. They've got enhanced license access. So if you want to get a license to run an ad in print or something you're going to sell or that sort of thing, you can get licenses to do that sort of thing. Multiple content types. It just goes on and on and on. So they've got vectors, icon, infographics, templates, video clips, all of that stuff in there. So definitely check them out. You can sign up for free. Just head over to shutterstock.com. You can sign up for a free account. You don't need to whip out your credit card. And then when you find the images that you like and you decide that you want to purchase them, remember the code TWIP11, that's TWIP11, 
and you'll get 30% off of any package. It's a full 30% off just by punching in the code TWIP11. And remember, Shutterstock.com, TWIP11. All right, guys, let's move on with the show. It is time for um, a quick interview that I did with uh, now someone who I, whom I call a friend. I just met Danny down at... Uh, in Santa Barbara. I was down at Brooks Institute of Photography and Danny is a student at Brooks Institute and he's also a veteran. He's a, he was in the Marine Corps and of course he and I got to talking about all kinds of things and I decided to invite him on the show to talk about his experience in the military and his experience out of the military as a student at Brooks Institute of Photography. All right, I'm here with Mr. Danny Pastoa. He's a photographer, and he's got an interesting background. And I was I was down in Santa Barbara uh, a little while ago, hanging out, and I, Danny and I were just we were out with a group of people having dinner and drinking and stuff. And it turns out we have very, well, maybe not very similar, but we have a common thread in our background. We're we're both military, um, both ex-military, and then we went on to become photographers. So. Of course, we had tons of stuff to talk about on on all levels of the conversation. But I invited Danny to come on this week in photo to sort of tell us about his history. And it turns out he has a gallery showing that's kicking off. Um, um, hopefully, I think it's kicking off very soon. But we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about what drove him to create that gallery showing, and then sort of dive into what it's like to be, you know, a a, a a guy that's shooting one device, you know, one year, and then the next year he's shooting a different device. So we're going to talk about all that. So, Danny, welcome to This Week in Photo. Hey, Frederick. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, it's good to have you, man. So, you know, I think, you know, this is going to be the first of a series of interviews that I'm going to be doing with with folks that are, you know, have served in the military and have gone on to become photographers. I've seen your work, and so I could I could preface that with have gone on to become good photographers. So, <laughs> so <laughs> So let's, uh, you're, we're kicking it off with you. So let's talk a little bit about your history. So I, right. I kind of foreshadowed that you were in the military. So you were a Marine. Right. Tell, tell, me, tell me why you, you went into the Marines and, and how that experience was. Well, if, if you're going to choose a branch in the military, why not the Marines, first of all? Oh, here we go. <laughs> no, here we go. No, we're not going to get into that Air no. Force versus Marines. Thing. Honestly, you know, when it comes down to it, everybody everybody does their part, you know, and everybody works together to make a cohesive group, and yep. we all make sure the mission gets accomplished. So I, I started off, I chose the Marine Corps because, I mean, I have a lot of friends that actually, I'm the only person in my family who went in the military, and I have a lot of friends who joined the Marine Corps. I have a couple who joined the Army and everything, but... I just kind of saw the way the girls would look at the Marines, and I was like, you know, that that's got my name written all over it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you just, that, Danny, come on a minute. You just like the uniforms, right? That was you it. know, you you can't you can't go wrong with that dress uniform. You just can't. I know the Marines have the best uniform of any branch of the service. I'm sorry, you know, hands down, hands, ha- down. hands down. I mean, you guys get to carry a sword. It's not like who else gets to carry a sword? That's it. You know, just us, I think. I, as far as I know, you know, unless you buy it yourself and then get in trouble for carrying it, so. <laughs> so so while you were in the military so tell just let's just we don't, I want to go too deep into that but let's tell me about some of your experiences where where were you stationed overseas and what were you doing over there All right so I went I joined the Marine Corps in 2005 long story short here joined the Marine Corps in 2005 soon after I joined I volunteered for my first deployment to go to Iraq in 2007 so I spent seven months over there, and I was a vehicle operator. So I was over there driving the Humvees, the seven tons, uh, those kind of vehicles out there, 
carrying, you know, people, serialized gear, things like that. Yeah. And I was stationed in El Tecatum, also known as TQ. But truth be told, we traveled all over Iraq. And we did that for seven months. And I was also in charge of machine guns and weapons cleaning and things like that as well. And after that, once I volunteered for that deployment, I finished it successfully, got, uh, got awarded the Navy Marine Corps Achievement Medal for going above and beyond what I was actually supposed to be doing over nice. there. Nice. Yeah, and then after that, when I got back, it's supposed to be a one-to-one ratio. So you spend seven months over there, you're supposed to have seven months back. Well, once I got back in September, they voluntold me, is what we like to call it. They voluntold, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> told me I was going back in 2008. So I ended up redeploying to Fallujah, Iraq, in 2008, May of 2008. And then I spent nine months over there total and came back in February of 2009 and we actually, my unit was one of the ones, one of the last units on deck there in Fallujah. We actually shut it down and gave it back to the Iraqis, and we were in charge of moving everybody up north to Al-Assad. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. That's, <laughs> and, and during that whole adventure while you're over there, and I, th- I asked you this when we, were, when we were hanging out in Santa Barbara, but if there's one thing that you could take away, and you struggled with this, so you had a couple days to think about it. So now, now you've got to give me an answer live to what... what you know, 100,000 people. Um, if there's one thing that you take away from your experience over there, what would you say it is? You know, you it, it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard to answer a question yeah. like that because you have so many different emotions and so many different things that, you know, every single individual goes through and experiences. But I'd have to say the one thing that you need to take away from it all, you know, and the positive is, just to keep your head up because a lot of people end up coming back and you know they have the VA system for help and everything but anybody who's actually been to the VA hospitals knows that the VA hospitals don't do a very good job at treating you know people and mm-hmm. they're 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 not really they're <laughs> they're not really there for you I guess I could say and I just got to say you know it's it's hard but you got to stay positive you know you got to you got to take that with you and just know that there is help out there for people that need it so that okay. yeah yeah that's good that's a perfect answer see positive attitude it trumps everything right it really does all right so let's let's fast forward um and you went from Fallujah to to Santa Barbara right <laughs> so from one sandy environment to another sandy environment right so tell me about that transition and what made you choose to go to school to be a photographer well, once I got out of the Marine Corps, I got out in 2009 in August, and I actually went back home to Michigan to spend time with the family before I would go and do anything. So I spent a year in Michigan uh, to stay with my family and whatnot. And then after that, it was it was kind of a it was a toss up because I, I'm somebody who's got to have that thrill. I've got to have that adventure and that sense of risk and excitement. So I was debating if I want to do firefighting or photography. I know those are two huge different extremes, but all. All my friends were like, Danny, you've already risked your life. You've already been there and done that. It's time for you to do something that's going to possibly not get you injured or killed. So you just need to go do photography because we know it's something you're passionate about. And so I started looking up photography schools, and I stumbled across Brooks Institute of Photography while I was still home in Michigan. So I went ahead and applied for it, and one of the one of the people called me up, and I started chatting with them, and they were pretty nice about it, actually. The person, my my advisor, I guess you could say. And, you know, he <laughs> pretty good at getting me in there. So I actually took a trip out to Santa Barbara and checked it out, looked at the school, saw it firsthand, checked, uh, watched, checked out all of the equipment, 
you know, and it, it looked pretty promising, not to mention there's a lot of really big-name photographers in the industry right now who, you know, have their own studios that are doing very well for themselves that graduated from Brooks Institute. So I thought that it would be a perfect match for me. Yeah. And so I ended up leaving Michigan in 2010, and I started school at Brooks Institute late 2010, and I've been doing that ever since, except for when I left in February this year to go to Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. That's amazing, dude. You got you to write all this down. I, you, there's a blog in your future, right? <laughs> you... Yeah. Actually, I have one on my website. Uh, it's, it's coming along. I just started my website here not too long ago. Got it up and running. So now it's trying to fine-tune it at this point. What's, what's the, is that, is that the, the lispystudios.com? Yeah, that's actually uh, lispystudios.com, L-I-S-P-Y-S-T-U-D-I-O-S.com. Perfect, perfect. Okay, so let's let's dive a little bit deeper into the Brooks experience. So, you know, you went from operating vehicles you know, overseas to now you're sitting in a chair learning about f-stops and shutter speeds. Tell me about that that experience of being a student and sitting in the chair at Brooks and, and sort of absorbing. Is it hard to learn this stuff? Was it Did it come naturally to you? Just take me into that world. All right. Well, I studied photography in high school for a few years, so I already knew that it was something I was interested in. And once I actually got out of the military and decided and started attending Brooks Institute, you know, it, it, it is difficult. It definitely is because coming from, I, I didn't come straight out of high school to come to this school. I, I served my country. You know, I did two tours overseas, and you're you're leaving an environment where you have a lot of people who are very independent and are used to thinking on their feet and being there and just handling things on their own. And then you come to a school environment where you're dealing with the majority of the people who are coming straight out of high school, you know, and so they, they want to live the college life. They want to party. They want to do all of that, you know, and you and I being in the military, we both know that we got our fair share of that while we were in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then some. <laughs> exactly. You know, and it's, it has proven to be difficult because I, I find myself actually getting really distracted a lot because there's a lot of students who are there just for the, the you know, just to be there. And so they, they don't understand that not everybody there is there because, you know, their, their parents might be paying for it or they're not there to party or anything. They're there to learn because they've already been there, done that. You know, it's kind of hard when you have other students that are chatting around and kind of being noisy and stuff. So, yeah, it's it's been difficult because it gets really frustrating because I'm there trying to learn and, you know, accomplish the mission that uh, from one mission, you know, being overseas to this one. And, you know, it's all about mission accomplishment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So 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 take so inside the classroom, do you think there's like a, a split between the people that are just like they're serious about this stuff just like in any in any school right there's this the the serious students that tend to do well and excel and then there's the students that are there for whatever reasons and they don't they're not really into it is that would you say that's a fair sort of split yeah i think that's a fair assessment you figure any school that you go to you're going to have the students that are there that really want to learn that want to learn what they need to know so that they can try to be successful in their futures and then you have the ones that you know are there just kind of you know hanging out, doing whatever they want to do, not really paying attention to that. I think no matter what school you go to, you're going to have that fair share of and that fair mix of people. Yeah, it just seems like it's different. Like Maybe just because I'm so into photography, it just seems like... And photography is such a, a creative craft, right? And there's, right. there's talented people that are just naturally talented. Then there are people that you sort of need to coax the talent out of them, and then they realize, oh, yeah, I do have talent. But it, 
it's not like you're learning about history or you know some some obscure formula in chemistry or something that doesn't really apply to your daily life when you're when you're learning photography it's like you learn a technique and you can immediately go do it <laughs> you know it's not it's not obscure or abstract so it's just it's interesting that people don't take it seriously over there so so let's talk about uh, you as a photographer and what drives you, you know? So uh, we were talking before I clicked the record button, just sort of we're shooting the breeze about vision and how a lot of photographers or most photographers actually, when they, when they figure out that they want to be a photographer and they get bitten by that, that bug to do this thing, they gravitate towards a particular kind or genre of photography, whether it be models or landscapes or HDR or macro or, you know, astronomy, you know, astronomy, whatever, you know, but in your case, what, what's the, the, the genre of photography that drives you? I'd have to say shooting people. I, I'm, I'm really big into that. You know, I, I'm not really big into the whole fashion scene. Yeah guys as the actual props and the uh, photos and things like that it's not really my thing i like shooting people i like doing things like headshots you know and i really want to get into shooting people in sports and i'd really like to get into shooting you know fighting or boxing and things like that i've i've kind of dabbled a little bit into the landscape and i i have a passion for that as well because I believe, you know, nature and everything is absolutely beautiful. And I think that a lot of people, <laughs> you know, as photographers, we look at we look at the sunset and the sunrise in the morning. And we just see a kind of light that nobody else gets to see. Yeah. And it's really nice when we get the opportunity to share those things that other people might have otherwise missed that we're looking at the same thing. So I, I'd have to say as far as a primary, I'd definitely have to say that I'm a people shooter myself. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I'm the same way. So the, one of the reason that one of the reasons that I like shooting people, and I guess I guess I should say photographing people. Uh, one of the reasons I like photographing people is because you know, like for landscapes, and this is just for me. You know, every everybody's different, but for landscapes, for example, you know, I, I draw the example of the the Golden Gate Bridge here in San Francisco. You know, you go to go to Golden Gate, go to the the bridge. It's beautiful. Um, you can catch it with the fog rolling over it. But every time I go to it and I take a, a photo of it, I always have the deja vu feeling that some photographer at some point in time had his feet in exactly the same spot that my feet are sitting with exactly the same kind of camera at exactly the same time of day taking that same shot. So it's hard for me to feel like I'm doing something new when I'm shooting landscapes because it's just, you know, it's there. Even though landscapes change and seasons and all that stuff, it just, for me, it feels, it just feels hard to get something unique. Whereas when I'm shooting people or photographing people, like say you shoot a model or something, you take the photo, you do the retouching and you show her that image of herself at her best. You get that reaction. That's like, Oh my God, that's me. You know? And I, and that kind of reaction right there is like, yeah, that's you. And then you capture them at that point in time. And they're never going to look like that again, especially for the woman, like 20 years later, she's going to look back on that image and it's going to become priceless, especially if you do your job right. All right. So you, you capture a slice of time. So that's kind of what drives me. Are you, you, you find the same kind of feeling driving you? Yeah, actually I do. You know, it's every equipment and everything's changing all the time. You know, people are changing all the time. Landscapes are changing all the time. Everything's always evolving, whether for, you know, the better or for the worse. But yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. You know, you go, you can't really go anywhere and think, oh, well, where I'm standing right now, somebody else has done this. I can't crouch down to my knees or anything because someone's already done that too. So it makes it a little bit more difficult to be a little bit more creative as far as landscapes go. Yeah. And I look at landscapes and for me, I I can tell that I'm a, 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 
a people person because when I look at a landscape, I automatically think, wow, it'd be great to put a model in there. <laughs> you know? Like, wouldn't it be great if I had a model on that hill instead of just the hill? Yeah. So I don't know. It's cool. So what do you, so in terms of your, you know, pushing your vision forward, what kind of things are you working on right now? What's in your, what's that burning project that's, that's in your head? Well, right now I actually, I have an ongoing series that I'm working on, which I spoke to you a little bit about when we were having a couple of drinks here in Santa Barbara. And that's, that's pretty much at the forefront of my mind. And that series is called the cost of war, um, which is involving injured combat veterans. Um, but that, and then I have another project I'm working on where, I'm going to be heading out to Seattle here in December to go and photograph a UFC fighter and a couple other things. So, but at, at the forefront of my mind, my the gallery that I have going up here on Monday is I, I'm trying to bring awareness to you know the veterans that have served and everything like that. So, so let's talk about that. So the I you you showed me some of the images on your iPhone when I was down there and some amazing powerful images. Um, that are even more powerful when you look at them as a collection. Let's just dive into that that set a little bit and why why you made it and who's in it and all that good stuff. All right. Well, I made it. There, we had an assignment at school at Brooks Institute where it's called the Final Six, and you have to photograph something that means something to you. And being a veteran at our school and serving overseas in combat and everything and having the opportunity to see what people don't the normal civilian doesn't see you know which is what the struggles and everything that veterans and everybody are going through that have been over there and i just think that i i had a a rare opportunity to showcase the struggles that these individuals are going through and so i wanted to act upon it so what i ended up doing is i started looking for wounded warriors i tried getting a hold of the wounded warrior battalion at camp pendleton and that didn't really work for me and so i started talking to some of the old lieutenants and higher-ups that I had while I was in the Marine Corps, and they connected me to someone who connected me to someone who put me in touch with a guy uh, named Chris that I ended up photographing first. I ended up driving down to Oceanside and photographing him. And, it, you know, all of these, it's, it's a really special series. This guy, Chris, was on a foot patrol in Haditha, Iraq, and ended up, you know, an IED went off by him, and it ended up causing him to have one of his legs amputated and it took a nice chunk out of one of his arms. So he's got a lot of atrophy on one arm, you know, and he's got a, he's got a prosthetic on the other. And it's, it's things like that, that the normal person doesn't really get the opportunity to see. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, So Chris ends up introducing me to another guy, Joe, who is a double amputee. He was, he was in, I believe Baghdad and he was driving a couple higher ups around in a Humvee when an IED, an improvised explosive device, went off under his Humvee. And he was actually the only individual in the vehicle that was injured. And his injury involved both of his legs having to get amputated, which is really unfortunate. You know, he's, he's a really great guy. And it, it, you just, you don't think that these kind of things could happen to people. And you realize they do. And it's, it's kind of like uh, a slap in the face of reality. Yeah. You know, so I ended up photographing these guys because I want to I raise awareness for the veterans that are out there and the people who have gone to combat because you figure, I don't know about you, but when 9-11 happened, I was in ninth grade. So that means the people that a lot of the people that I'm in college with now at Brooks Institute 
who came straight from high, like straight out of high school, probably in what second grade, third grade when it happened. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So we've been at war for pretty much their entire lives, and all they know is, okay, well, we've been at war. Oh, another troop is dead. Another troop was killed in action. You know, this, that, or the other thing. And you know, with the media and everything, and how it's going, all it's really done is desensitized what's really going on. You know, and a lot of people don't have that reality check to see, oh, you know, not not everybody not everybody comes back okay. Danny, he's he's okay. So, you know, people come back all right all the time. But that's the thing, is not everybody does, and that's what I'm trying to raise awareness for. That is great. Now is there a is there a narrative that sort of talks along those lines that goes with the installation? Um, I know that once the gallery is going up in uh, UCSB here this Monday the I'm, I'm going to have a lot of descriptions that are around and you know i'm gonna i'm actually trying to get one of the joe double amputee i'm trying to get him to come out and give a little speech to everybody as well and try to show them that you know firsthand because you can look at a picture and you know a picture can say a thousand words which is true but i i think that as far as a narrative you know it just the images are going to speak for themselves and i'm really hoping that they they bring some some emotion and some impact back to something that's been so so you know dis- distorted and desensitized over this long period of time yeah yeah that's great that's great and that's that so you mentioned the the uh ucsb that's where the gallery installation is going to be it's going to start monday october 15th 2012 and how long is it going to go the gallery is actually up right now uh we're fit we're putting the finishing touches on it this actual on monday morning um a couple of things you know happen or whatnot but it's going to be up until December 7th. So it's, it's opening up. A lot of people are going to be showing up at 6 o'clock. And then I'm going to be giving a speech around 6.30 to let everybody know why I ended up doing the series that I'm doing. So pretty much what I'm telling you right now, except a lot more in depth. You know, And like I said, I'm hoping that I can get my buddy Joe to come out and give an awesome speech and you know, just show people that you know, he's been through a tragedy and he's had his hardships and everything, but he's doing okay. And also give them the opportunity to see firsthand that holy cow, something like not everybody comes back 100%, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I would I would encourage any any of the This Week in Photo listeners that are within the area of UCSB to definitely head over and check out that installation. But if they aren't, if someone's listening from far, far away and would like to see this work, is there? do you have a, a place online where they could go to check it out? Yeah, I've got a lot of the images, not all the images that are in the gallery are up on the website. I didn't want to ruin it for all the images of the of the gallery, but you can check out my website at www.lispystudios.com. That's L-I-S-P-Y studios.com. And once you get there and it loads up, highlight portfolio, click on the personal tab, and that'll bring up the black and white images, some of them that will be in the gallery. Awesome. Cool, man. Well, thank you. I know you got stuff to do. You got a gallery to get uh, to. You got to nail some holes in the wall and hang some prints, right? <laughs> so, so and maybe get some food at some point in there. So, thank you for uh, for taking the time to chat with me. It's it's always an honor. Hey, Frederick, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, definitely. All right, man. Take care. You as well. All right, that was Danny Postawa. You can uh, check him out. Uh, we'll put the the links to his blog and his gallery show and the uh, the notes for this episode, but definitely check them out and give them some love, give them some likes on Facebook, encourage them. We like to encourage the, the new photographers that are out there that are that are doing some amazing work like Danny did, and you'll see in, in that gallery installation that he, uh, I think he'll have on his site. But yeah, let's, let's encourage them, keep them going. 
All right, guys, it's time for some listener Q&A. This is the segment where we answer questions that have been at the top of some of the TWIP listeners' minds. Question number one is from Beth, and Beth says, Are there any books or online tutorials that discuss workflow and how to organize large amounts of digital files? Hmm. Yes. Hmm. Uh, Valerie, you want to take that? Sure. I hear you um, back there. Pick me, pick me. <laughs> it, okay. um, uh, yes, actually, I, I love to read photography books and I always have a, a stack uh, on my desk. But when it comes to, you know, software, learning a new software or workflow, whatever, I, I like to learn online. And I always, you know, when my students ask me, where should I go to learn how to use Lightroom for whatever? I send them to Kelby Training. Um, I, and I know there is lynda.com, it's a similar type of tutorials. And, and it's great quality tutorial. You don't, have to, um, you don't have to be a member for the year. You can just, you know, if you have a month where you know you're going to have some extra time, just sign up for the month. It's like 25 bucks, and you can spend hours and hours on um, watching their, their tutorials. So I think that might be a good place for Beth to, uh, to start and to, to check it out. And it's Linda, lynda.com, right? Or Kelby Training. I, 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 I do t- Kelby Training. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the, the main differences between from my consumer perspective of lynda.com mm-hmm. and Kelby is Linda is, has, a, has coverage of pretty much everything you could possibly think of. Like I was saying in one show, they have coverage on Google Apps and how to use mail and you know the, the tools that we're using to do the show. They have, they have like tutorials on pretty much everything out there, whereas Kelby is more focused on the creative, so our crowd. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're you know, photography and creative arts and that sort of thing. So they're, they're, they're very complimentary. And both will be high-quality tutorials. I mean, mm-hmm. there, I know there is a lot of free stuff online and, and some great quality free tutorials too, but you really have to look for the good ones. So. Yeah, absolutely. In a lot of ways, you get what you pay for, right? Exactly. All right, question number two is from Mark. Mark says, I recently bought a Nikon D600 and I want to get an external flash and wondered if the Nikon speed lights will fire when used inside a softbox and triggered from the Creative Lighting System or CLS. Does the flash itself need to be exposed so that it will see the pre-flashes from the built-in flash? Who's a Nikon shooter on the show? Me. You. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why is everybody looking at me? <laughs> uh, the answer is yes and yes. So the 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 sensor on the side of the the speed lights has to see the pre flashes in order to get that information and set the flash and, and trigger it, of course. But it's sensitive and. Depending on how you position it and how your softbox is built, you can usually position it so that it can be seen, especially with the Nikon. So you can you can flip it around so that the sensor on the flash is facing outward and it can see those pre-flashes. So the short answer to your question mark is yes, it, it needs to be able to see that flash. Um, but the the other side of that coin is it's pretty easy to be able to get it positioned to see that. Now you guys you guys Canon has a similar system right built in. If you're not using the latest Canon strobes that use RF technology, you're you're using a similar system on the Canon system, right? Yeah, it's infrared line of sight. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's the same thing. It's line of sight. It has to be seen, but you can position it so that it can be seen and you can get that information over to the flash. 
But Ca- Canon do now have the the latest range is um, is radio as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did an interview with our twit friend Silarina a, a, a number of months ago when we when they released them because Sil had uh, a chance to really review them before they were released and it, it, it's a pretty cool system now. But it really only takes us in in some ways. It really only takes us to where Nikon have been for a while anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, the the Canon the, the latest range of Canon they do have radio built in so that's pretty cool yeah and that's cool and the the importance of radio or rf is it's like don was saying with with infrared that's line of sight with radio you can go through walls you can go you know presumably large distances and you're not restricted by that oh it has to be in it has to see the other flash in order to trigger so which opens up a lot of creative opportunities Sure. Sil was saying that he went way over 100 meters and they were still firing. So it's pretty good stuff. Yeah. That's crazy. All right. Um, All right. It's time for my favorite part of the show, the picks of the week. This is the uh, segment where you guys can pick, the guests can pick anything to suggest to our listeners as long as it is somehow related to photography. Valerie, what's your pick of the week? Um, I have two, two books. All right. Okay, uh, I can give two. Yeah, go for it. Okay, good. Uh, I took the passionate photographer to France with me, and that's the book um, written by our friend Steve Simon. Oh, I, I thought you were talking about a person. Okay. No, <laughs> <laughs> I took Steve with me. No. <laughs> I was like, well, uh, hey now. <laughs> it's, an, it's an awesome book. It's one of those, it's like a book that every photographer should own, you know, alongside books such as Within the Frame by David Dusherman. It's one of those amazing, um, well-written books. And and The Passionate Photographer is a perfect title for it. I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just so good. And the passion just comes through. And uh, I, I love it. And it's like the book that I wish I had written, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's it's really a great book. And the second I'll, book I, is, before you, I just want to interject, Valerie. I want to second that because I was reading that book when I was in the Yukon, uh, sitting on the bank of a river waiting for moose. I had hours to spend, and I read through the entire book, and I will second everything that you just said. It's fantastic. Wow. It's awesome. And I'll yes. third that because Steve gave me a copy a long time ago, and I read that book, and I was like, okay, Steve is the real deal. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, you know what? While we're, while we're on a Steve Love Fest, I'll, I'll fourth it because I've, I've read it too, and – yeah, I've been trying to make time to get Steve on my podcast as well for an interview to talk about it because it really is good. Yeah, yeah, it is good. And he and Steve also has a uh, a workshop that's also named the Passionate Photographer. That he, I don't, yeah. I'm not exactly sure when it happens or if it's full or not. But I'm sure if you Google Steve Simon Passionate Photographer, you'll be able to find it. So it's probably yeah. on his new website, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Steve's new website looks okay. It's, Is it out? He finally it, well, got it out. Well, he's he's got it, he's got a. It, it's not totally out. Um, it's it's there and working, but I don't think it's. I think he wants to do a few more finishing touches before he really starts talking about it. But okay, yeah, yeah he's been, he's been working on that website for three years. So no. <laughs> like, bless him. Technology keeps changing, and Steve Steve's site is not up. It's like, oh, now it's HTML five. Now I got to change it. So. <laughs> But The Passionate Photographer, 10 Steps Towards Becoming Great by Steve Simon is a must-read, in my opinion. And the second book, uh, Secrets of Great Portrait Photography, Photographs of the Famous and Infamous by Brian Smith, is both educational and so entertaining. Uh, I read it in one sitting. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's, wow. Uh, also by uh, Voices That Matter, same as Steve's book. And it's um, by Pulitzer Prize winning photographer Brian Smith, who's been photographing um, celebrities for about 30 years. And uh, it's everything that goes, um, it's everything that happens his thought process during a shoot of, you know, celebrities, their famous actors or, or, um, sports stars. So it's, it's a great book, very entertaining. And it's not always the case. Photography books can be pretty boring sometimes, but this is both educational and very entertaining. So secrets of great portrait photography by Brian Smith. Cool. Those were my two so, picks. So order both of these books and that'll be your holiday reading over the, over the upcoming holidays. Very yes. cool. All right. Thanks, Valerie. Uh, Don, what is your pick of the week? Well, it's boring, but it is functional and free. Don, that, uh, you can't, you, marketing, putting on my marketing hat, you can't start a pick of the week like that. <laughs> 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 you cannot. That's like, that's like trying to set someone up on a blind date. Like, well, she's boring, but <laughs> you can't. You got nice to look at. But nice to look at. Go on. <laughs> All right. Um, so being a Windows user, uh, I just had to, to reinstall Windows for the first time in oh, like three or four years uh, a couple of months ago. And I just at some point I had added this and completely forgotten. I went to look for it and it wasn't there. So when you uh, and, and most uh, photographers that, that, that I speak to and myself included uh, shoot raw. And uh, if you're trying to dig through your raw files when you're not in like Adobe Bridge or Lightroom or anything like that, uh, in the Windows environment, they just show up as just blank little icons with the file numbers underneath. And it's really hard to find what you're looking for um, if you need to like save a file somewhere else or uh, send it off somewhere. So Microsoft has a, uh, a camera codec pack that you can download completely free. And they update it pretty much as frequently as Adobe updates their, their codecs. And it allows you to uh, see thumbnails and click on the images and, and view them full outside of any Adobe software. And it's, it's pretty helpful just to organize and sort through things and grab files if you need them for whatever purpose. And, uh, and it's, it's just a great thing. Uh, put a link into the show notes where you can download that. And, uh, and everybody running Windows should have that if they're shooting raw. And just uh, another sort of uh, related thing, I'd sort of conditional right now because I haven't gotten my, uh, I haven't completely dove into to Windows 8, but I'm loving it right now. And unless something goes horribly wrong, I'd like to say that'd be a great pick too. All right. Windows 8. Are you going to do a review on that or, and post it on your blog? I'm going to try to. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I haven't explored yet, and I've got to go through all the stuff that they're promoting and uh, just see if it's worth even checking out and uh, get my feet wet. I'm, I'm jealous. I miss that, that fresh new operating system smell. You know, it's, it's like, you know, <laughs> resetting everything and a fresh install and all that. That's, that's awesome. Cool. Well, let us know how it goes now. I will. Cool. All right. And Martin Bailey, what's your pick of the week? Okay, so seeing as Valerie had two, I'm going to sneak a second one in as well. But my first one is <laughs> See what you very... did, Valerie? You see what you did? <laughs> you started it. So the first one is a new e-magazine or e-book that, that Craft & Vision are releasing this week. And it'll be out by the time this show airs. And it's called Photograph. And it's full of... They have a bunch of features, featured photographers, and then... Uh, articles from a whole bunch of photographers, many much more lofty than I am, but I'm I'm proud to say that I've got a regular column in there as well. Oh, very and, cool! Yeah, nice. it's, and I've just read the um, the final version, and it's amazing. And and in true Craft and Vision um, style, it's going to be 
you know, maybe a little bit more than a, than a coffee, but there's going to be discount codes and all sorts. And I, uh, I'm going to put a blog post out probably on Thursday when it's released so that I can push people over there. But it, it's, a, it's an amazing new publication. It's going to be quarterly, uh, so there's going to be one, one issue every three months. But uh, at least for the first year, I've got my regular column in there delving into the first thing I talk about is the color management myth. And then the second thing I'm going to be talking about is why resolution matters but doesn't. <laughs> but but these are my two my these my columns are all a little bit more cerebral than some of the other stuff. But there's there's some very artistic columns, and you know all of the all of the uh, the people that we love like Nicole Young are are in there, and we've got um, a whole bunch of people, and it's going to be great. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the photography community's response to that. That's really cool. Uh, yeah, I got to get and, David on to talk about that. That's uh, that's awesome. I, you know, I I think of David and Craft and Vision as sort of the apple of eBooks in a lot of oh, ways because yeah. they're yeah. very yes. they, they they lovingly craft each issue without the price tag, right? <laughs> so they, right? They lovingly craft each issue. You can see the thought that goes into everything. Even the website is just amazing. So yeah. I, you know, I'm I'm excited to see them moving into the e magazine space. This should be really interesting. Well, you know, the the second thing that I was going to just quickly plug, and this is really not a pick of the week, rather just a, a blatant um, plug, in that it's also got a, a David Duchemin, um, what's it, the, the link there, because the we just had a, a couple of cancellations for my Snow Monkey and Hokkaido tour in February next year, and that's where David's actually going to be a special guest with us there, so... You get to you get to spend time with David as well, and as well as go to some amazing places. So I'm going to reactivate the the booking links on my website at mbpworkshops.com. And if you feel as though you want to want to spend some time with with David and I in some amazing winter wildlife locations, then you know jump on that quickly because I'm sure they're going to go very soon. Very cool. And well, you'll you'll give us the link so that we can put that in the in the notes for this episode, right? Absolutely. Thanks. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you. And then finally, my pick is from someone that Martin just referred to, Nicole S. Young. She has just announced that she has some amazing presets available on her, I think it's her blog. Yeah, nicolezblog.com slash presets um, for Lightroom. And she's going to throw us a 20% discount on those with the code TWIP20 when you check out. So if you are a Lightroom fiend, like most of us are, I think, um, definitely check them out and support Nicolzi and uh, you know let her know that you're a TWIP listener by using that code. And um, wow, I think that's it. We are at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. Valerie Jardin, where can people go to find out what you're up to? They can Google my name. <laughs> they can go to <laughs> Spell it for them, please, because, you know, with my French <laughs> accent, I know a lot of people are just not getting it. Valérie Jardin, B-A-L-E-R-I-E-J-A-R-D-I-N, or ValerieJardinPhotography.com, all in one word. Same on Facebook. And the workshops and the blog and everything is is linked to the to the website. And they just so basically just Google Valerie or find this episode and click on the link. <laughs> You'll get right over to her. And uh, all right, next up, Don Komarechka. Where can people go to find out more about you? Pretty much everything is all located at uh, doncom.ca, D-O-N-K-O-M.ca. And I'll be posting up a link there by the time this um, this show 
airs for a workshop that I just got uh, green-lighted today, and it's going to be at the Brooks Institute uh, in Santa Barbara, California, on macro photography. So all sorts of stuff from uh, insects and flowers and water droplets and the uh, amazing challenges and unique photographic opportunities in there. And I'll even be bringing some snowflakes for everybody to photograph, too. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and are you, are you planning on registering com? I might. I might do that. Because <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, going I'm going to go register it right now because I don't think you're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, and Martin, uh, so with w- the workshops that you're working on or that you're, you put together, where, where is everything sort of tied into in general? Is it all linked to from martinbaileyphotography.com? Exactly, yeah. The, there's a whole bunch of tiles on the top page there at martinbaileyphotography.com. Uh, and the, there's a workshops one, and there's all sorts of other stuff there. So that's like my portal page to get to anything. I mean, everything I'm into. That's the that's the uh, event horizon right there, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Thanks, everyone. And if you'd like to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, listeners, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com. Also, please support the show by leaving us a quick comment on iTunes. We read each and every one of those. And also while you're on iTunes, check out the TWIP podcast app. It's a handy way to stay on top of our newest shows and also to go back to the future or back in time to check out our greatest hits. Old shows are really interesting, especially when we talk about stuff that um, we know the answers to now. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.